Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So I, uh, I came across this uh, interesting story. You know, we were, there's a lot of military talk, of course, with uh, Ukraine and Russia, and Ukraine has launched its counteroffensive now against the Russians and tough slogging ahead. And uh, Western nations, NATO nations, have delivered billions of dollars in arms, sophisticated equipment to Ukraine. Canada has pitched in. Uh, we sent um, leopard tanks. We are sending some more. I don't know how many we have left here at that point. Uh, we, we don't really have a well-stocked military. And we don't have a military that's, well, with the, the men and the women in the military are ready. But they don't have the equipment that they require. It, should, the, uh, should we become uh, um, the targets of another um, major nation? Now, I know we rely on the Americans and the Americans will come and protect us. The Americans will protect their self-interests. And we should be well-equipped and ready to defend ours, at least to make it a, a make another nation, the Russians, Chinese, whoever it may be, make them think about it. You know, it's like the Swiss. The Swiss, uh, it's like a hornet's nest in, in the Swiss Army and the Swiss, Swiss, Swiss Air Force. They're neutral, but uh, all their mountain passes are mined and... They have uh, tremendous gun emplacements in the Alps. And somebody uh, once said, yeah, you can get into Switzerland. The big problem you're going to have is getting back out. Uh, well, and now we have the story that uh, NATO is engaged in a massive air um, exercise in Germany with NATO nations participating, more than two dozen. We've got a couple hundred aircraft. And guess who's not... Not going to be there. Wasn't there now. We're not. And I may be too cynical, but I just don't think we can be there because we don't have the aircraft that are required. We have uh, CF-18s, which were introduced in uh, 1983, I believe, which was the same year that the MiG-29 was introduced. And that's the plane that Ukraine has that they're desperately trying to up upgrade from so they can fight the Russians on a more even a level playing uh, flame field, battlefield. There's so much at play here, and it's our way of life, and we have to be able to secure our way of life, which has been the consistent message of Vice Admiral Mark Norman, former Vice Chief of the Defense Staff, former Commander of the Royal Canadian Navy. The Admiral joins us. Admiral Norman, uh, happy Father's Day. Thanks for taking the time. Well, uh, thank you, Roy, and to your listeners and all the fathers out there. Thank you for bringing me back on the show. Well, it's always a, an honor to have you with us because we know we get we get it straight from you. And uh, when I first saw that we're not participating in the NATO air exercise, I thought, well, I wonder why. Because the CF-18s, they're, they're impressive when nothing else is in the sky with them. But if they're up against fifth-generation fighters, then whether it's in exercises or, heaven forbid, combat, well, I'm protect us— um, they're just out. They're out. They're out. They're out. Class. They're outgunned, aren't they? Well, yeah. I mean, as you said in your introduction, I mean, we're looking at a forty-year-old aircraft, and right. uh, I think that that's um, not really the the primary uh, driver behind this decision. However, sadly, this is a function of uh, lack of capacity, both in terms of 
the actual numbers of aircraft that are uh, operationally available and the people that are necessary to both fly them and maintain them. And that seems to be consistent with the message from the official message from uh, D&D and the Air Force. My instinct is that uh, they would have liked to have been part of this, um, but that uh, it just wasn't possible. And of course, they're they're referring to the ongoing transition and modernization, which really goes back to uh, bringing on board the Australian um, F-18s, the used F-18s that are being used by the government to basically act act as a stopgap until we get the F-35s in the next decade or so. Yeah. Parliamentary Budget Officer told us on this program that when it comes to the F-35 program and the surface ships, that Canada is expecting that we don't have the money for it. We haven't got the money budgeted for it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. There's certainly ongoing tension between the Parliamentary Budget Office. Of course, that's an independent uh, uh, office that reports to Parliament and uh, the government itself with respect to whether these uh, major uh, procurements have, in fact, uh, got the necessary resources. Um, I, I think... Um, you know, certainly th- th- this, again, is another recurring problem. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, military equipment is expensive. We are um, not necessarily the most efficient purchasers of military equipment in Canada. We tend to have a lot of process. We tend to drag things out much longer than is required, and that all drives up the cost. As your listeners will know, everything is now much more expensive than it was even two or three years ago. And that applies as much to military uh, hardware as it does to anything else. So you can imagine the aggregate effect uh, over a decade or two of delays on the cost of an already very expensive piece of equipment. And I think that that's kind of the problem that the the PBO is describing, among others. Admiral Norman, I I have your notes in front of me that you uh, delivered on in March, early March of this year, at the CDAI conference, and you said, um, in part, a much-needed contribution to what is a... This conference is an important and timely platform for the discussion of national defense and security issues, a much-needed contribution to what is a woefully inadequate, arguably non-existent national security culture here in Canada. We've devolved, haven't we? We just... I mean, do we not get it or do we just not want to spend the money? I think it's a combination of things, uh, Roy. And and unfortunately, you know, my comments, I I don't regret them at all. In fact, I stand by them. I think they're even more applicable now a couple of months later. But I think uh, a number of issues. I think, first of all, uh, we are uh, geographically privileged in Canada um, uh, being part of the North American continent. We have been historically isolated from a lot of the major um, security issues uh, around the globe, but that we're, see- we're seeing that that's not that's not true anymore, and that uh, we're increasingly vulnerable. So that's part of it. I think the second thing is that uh, we have consistently relied on um, the benevolence, the generosity of the United States uh, to defend the continent, and therefore. We've done the absolute minimum necessary to uh, to you know contribute, and uh, and the third thing is I I, I genuinely believe that that uh, there is a sense um, of other priorities which is important and completely understandable, but uh, the the notion that 
um, those other things um, should come at the expense of security and defense. Well, that's that that's a bit mis, misguided, in my opinion, because if you don't have security and defense, all the rest of the stuff uh, is potentially uh, at risk. But that's the view of a, a retired uh, military person. Well, all we have to do is look at Ukraine. And if we consider Ukraine was a beautiful country before the Russian invasion, cities much like ours, uh, way, of, way of life much like ours, that changed with a military invasion. And they're now fighting for their lives, desperately fighting for their lives. And they're, they're fighting, I think, heroically. But, but you've pointed out, and you just said it, national security, looking at your notes from that uh, March speech, n- national security is much more complex now. And it goes well beyond the traditional considerations that, that have allowed our leaders to naively rely on our physical isolation from many of the threats of previous decades. Canada, however, is no longer immune to events on other side other side of the world, and nor is our way of life guaranteed simply because of our proximity to the United States. We like our way of life. We love our way of life, Admiral, all of us. But there's a cost, and there's there's a requirement to be ready to defend it if it becomes necessary. And we and you and I have talked about this on the air. We have uh, we become rather lax at that. Well, yeah, and and certainly, and that that's why I was raising the raising the alarm in essence, and mm-hmm. and others are are trying to do so as well. Um, and I think you know, for your listeners, the important the, a distinction that I try to make, and because I, I think it is really important, is when we look at the events in Ukraine and and the the sheer horror of what's happening. I mean, the country's being destroyed, people are being murdered, um, and this is all in the interest of ideology. And this is where I, I think. Um, the rubber hits the road, to put it crudely. Um, and, and so the, I do not believe that Canada is going to be invaded in a traditional sense. I think that there are physical threats to Canada, mostly to do with um, the, our proximity and sitting between Russia and the United States. But that's another discussion. What I'm really concerned about is the underlying um, ideology that is essential to our way of life. The notion of uh, rules-based order, the notion of uh, free, uh, free trade, free, you know, economics, all of these things that have, have defined our wealth and our um, overall um, health as a nation uh, over, over, you know, the last several decades, certainly since the Second World War. And that's under threat. And it's under threat by countries like Russia and countries like China who do not see the world order in the way that we have um, and our allies have um, for for our adult lives and, and and certainly beyond, and their their goal in all of this is fundamentally is to reset the global order uh, in in their interests uh, in in their vision, and this is what's playing out. And Ukraine is a tangible and and frightening example of the lengths to which. Uh, these countries are prepared to go to to basically uh, make things work the way they want them to work. Admiral, how do uh, how do our allies view our lack of uh, presence, our absence for something like this massive air exercise in Germany? Yeah, I, it's a good question. I, I think it's a mixed reaction, to, depending on who exactly you're talking to. Um, and I, I think it's useful, you know, given this week, um, the, you know, the government's just announced that we're putting a squadron of tanks into Latvia. So we kind of need to put that into the mix 
So remember a while ago, we talked about the fact that we weren't sending that many leopard tanks into Ukraine. Um, and I guess we now have an indication as to why um, we were holding back because we've now sent um, 15 tanks into Latvia, which is a good thing. It's a good thing for our contribution to the eastern front of NATO and our forces in Latvia. They need that heavier armor as part of uh, their own force protection. But but why do I say that? Because I guess it really depends who you're talking to. Um, my instinct would be that, or my sense would be that Latvia and other countries like that would be looking at Canada's ongoing contribution and saying that's a really good thing. I think some of the more substantive allies, and we've got to recognize that everybody's the same in NATO, but some are bigger and stronger than others. Um, some of them would be looking at Canada and, and, and probably wondering why, and they'd probably be somewhat disappointed. I think really that the issue in your question is we are um, becoming increasingly inconsistent. And, and I think that that is probably the, the underlying concern. We, we like to use politically the argument that one of the reasons why, um, you know, Canada sh- it pushes back on the 2% contribution to NATO um, is because we, we make the argument that we're always there, we're always contributing, and therefore, um, our our contribution should be viewed slightly differently because it's not just a numbers game with respect to uh, finances. And this was alluded to in that article by uh, John Iveson. So, you know, that's a long way of saying it really depends. But but the overall trend is probably not good. But if you're in Latvia or you're you're um, got anything to do with um, ready forces uh, or managing ready forces, on the eastern front of NATO right now, you're probably very happy that Canada is there and Canada is contributing and that we've just upped our game with a squadron of tanks because that, that, that will make a difference on the ground there. Um, God help us if, if they are required beyond just uh, being part of a deterrent force. Right. Uh, one of the points we've been making for years is that uh, politics should, should not be engaged in health care uh, is it fair to say that uh, politics should not be involved, and I mean all party politics, should not be engaged in, in, in determining security uh, and, and the military capability of this country? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really uh, useful uh, comparison because it's useful for a couple of reasons. One, your uh, your listeners can obviously relate uh, in, in, in terms of day-to-day uh, challenges to the state of the healthcare system and the fact that um, you know it needs it needs a significant um, boost and 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 it needs help, and that throwing money at it isn't necessarily the solution if it's not properly set up and it's not the processes aren't there. You know, it, 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 if it, if it's not working the way it should, throwing more money at it isn't going to make it better. Although that's part of the problem but we need to fix it before we start spending more money on it, if you follow my thought process. And that's a very, very similar thought process. I think the other thing that's useful in that comparison is that um, when when we politicize issues like that, um, we, we become distracted by the politics of the issue, and we lose track of what is actually uh, at stake and why it is an important issue. So, you know, I, I have made public statements to the effect that the politicization of defense and security is unhealthy, and I, I genuinely believe that. 
Um, I, I believe that, you know, there are, there are certain things which are so foundational to who we are um, and, and, and what's important to us and what's in our national interest that they shouldn't be politicized. Um, but unfortunately, they are. Um, and I'm not sure how we as Canadians get ourselves uh, to a point where we, we hold our politicians to, to account and uh, we, we make them um, behave in a more responsible way when okay. it comes to these really important issues. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.